Welcome, everybody, to the Moose Room. We have the gruesome twosome. Myself and Joe are here. Ruff, ruff. We are joined uh, by another guest for our May mental health series. Uh, we are joined today by a colleague of ours in Extension. She is the Extension educator for Good Hugh County 4-H. Allie Kleckner is with us today. Welcome, Allie. Thanks for having me. So I'm really excited to have Allie here. Her and I get to work pretty often on some projects together, and I will say we've known each other since college, too, so it's always fun to have a a good friend on, too. But we are going to be talking about a project that Allie has been working on for the past year and a half, maybe two years now. Um, I've I've gotten to help with it a little bit, um, and I think it's a really important topic for our listeners. You know, again, it is May, Mental Health Awareness Month, so we are doing our mental health series, and we're going to switch it up a little bit and talk really specifically today about youth mental health. Um, and and Ali has been working on a project, working with rural youth on things like recognizing stress and building resiliency and and how to be, you know, leaders and and how adults can recognize signs of of, you know, stress or mental health issues in youth. So lots of cool things. We'll get to it and and get to the questions and let Allie talk a little more about herself and her work. But before we do that, Allie is a new guest, so we have two super secret questions that we ask all of our guests. Joe and Bradley will tell you that they do have correct answers, but they are wrong. There are no wrong answers to these questions. You answer with your heart. So question number one, what is your favorite breed of beef cattle? Shorthorns. Ah, okay. They're fluffy, really fluffy. And they have really cool patterns. And they're a little less psycho than some of the others. Okay. <laughs> Do- Dr. Joe maybe uh, has a rebuttal to that, but <laughs> shorthorn, good choice. Yes, I agree on the coloring. A beautiful roan shorthorn, like you just can't top that in my mind. It's like the perfect color pattern. But anyways, Joe, so we keep a tally of what all of our guests say. So Joe, what is the tally for the beef breeds at now? Okay. I'm just rearranging some things because that did hop a spot. Ah. All right. Black Angus still in the lead at 15. Herefords at 10. Black Baldies at 4. Scottish Highlander at 4. Red Angus at 3. Shorthorn now at 3. Nice. Belted Galloway at 2. Charlay at 2. And then all with 1. Stabilizer, Galvi, Brahmin, Keenina, Simiton, Laurie, Jersey, Normandy, Belgian Blue, Brangus, Piedmontese, and White Park. All right. So now we're moving on to super secret question number two, which you've maybe figured out. What is your favorite breed of dairy cattle? Holsteins. <laughs> I I may or may not have known she was going to say that. When you grow up on a Holstein farm, you better have the right answer to that question. Yes. See, that that is why Allie is really here. Her and I both grew up on Holstein farms, so. It's garbage. She, I, I needed her help to stir the pot a little bit. So. What's your favorite, Joe? It's jerseys. The only answer is jersey. Except you crawl through all the fences. 
I'm not saying they're smart. They're just the best. Okay. So, right. I mean, we it's well established that they're goofy and weird and they have weird tendencies. That's fine. That's personality, which a Holstein does not have. <gasps> I would beg to differ, good sir. All right. You know what? We don't have time for this to turn into like a, a telenovela uh, podcast here. So we'll move right along. Where are we at on the tallies now, Dr. Joe? Uh, unfortunately, Holsteins are still in the lead at 23, Jersey's at 14, Brown Swiss at 8, Montbelliard at 3, Dutch Belted at 3, Normandy at 2, one Guernsey named Taffy and another Guernsey for them at 2, Milking Shorthorns at 1, and Ayrshires at 1. All right. Shout out to Taffy the Guernsey. Always. A favorite here in the Moose Room. All right. Well, now that we got, you know, all the important business out of the way, we can move on to the other important business. So, um, Allie, maybe just to start, uh, why don't you briefly just tell us, you know, a little bit more about, you know, what you do. Obviously, you do more than just work on the mental health side of, of things, uh, but share briefly, you know, what, what you do and, and you know, how you kind of got started uh, with the mental health stuff. And then we'll dive into some more details. Well, like Emily said, um, my name is Allie Kleckner, and I am a 4-H educator in Goodhue County. And I started in this role about six years ago now. Uh, we are a heavily livestock-oriented 4-H uh, program, um, still pretty rural communities. Um, we're kind of floating a line between Rochester and the cities. And so a lot of commuter towns, but also um, agriculture is still our, our one of our main economic bases. How I got into the mental health piece is, and, and I'm sure, I'm actually pretty sure this is the same situation that really prompted Emily to dive into this work. A friend of ours from college lost a father to suicide, and um, we all were reeling from the reality of, of how close to home that it had hit. And the question was starting to get asked, why does it seem to be hitting our communities and, and what can we do about it? At that time, then I started thinking more onto the youth side because it was something I could do through my work, and and I had resources available to me to to build some of these pieces. After a while, we did create a pilot program to help prepare adults in the community to work with youth who might be impacted by some tough economic situations. Realizing that the farm youth tend to be more aware of their fin family finances than a lot of other youth um, potentially are. And, and then those youth withdrawing from activities and trying to help the situation, but probably only making it worse. Really trying to equip the adults in our communities to recognize those youth and know, and know how to work with them. Um, that pilot project then garnered some recognition from Dean Durgan at the university. And um, at that time, then we got shuttled over, our work kind of shuttled over into the Ben Don't Break grant um, that was provided by the Minnesota Department of Ag to the to extension. So from that work, then we started moving into more youth-centered, peer-to-peer um, -peer work and um, expanding our work with the volunteers. All right. Awesome overview. I have 5 million questions, but I think I'm going to start with the very last thing you said, right? I know the newest part of this is, is the peer-to-peer, -peer, so youth helping each other. And 
you know, I'm curious as somebody who is not a youth anymore, what what has been the reception of this from kids? You know, does it seem like, yes, there's really a need and a hunger for this, or it's kind of like they're interested, but it's a little awkward at first. You know, I'm I'm really curious to know what what the kids are are saying and and thinking about this. What surprised me the most was that there is a clear need for it. And it's not the kids that think that there's not. The adults were really the ones sweeping under the rug. We've had youth come up to us after programming and say, we're talking about this in school, we're talking about this in our extracurriculars, but it wasn't something that was getting touched on in our our 4-H clubs or in our 4-H community. And it's really nice to hear it being addressed also in those spaces for a more wraparound approach to youth mental health. If they feel supported in every area of their life, that's only going to have better outcomes for them. And so that it surprised us a little bit, but that's truly the response we've gotten is it's about time. Yeah. And and you touched on a really important point, which was also going to be one of my next questions. And that was You know, I know when I talk about mental health specifically for youth, you know, adults say like, oh, kids don't have real problems. You know, they're just being dramatic or they want attention or it's because social media, you know. And so, yeah, I was curious if you kind of ran into some resistance from adults and it it does sound like you did. So I'm going to flip this question a little bit and ask instead you could condense it down into a single message to adults, to parents, you know, that you want them to know about kids and their mental health, what would it be? What is your view on this now? I think it's really important for all adults to look at the bigger picture when speaking with a youth. Um, If a youth is opening up and, and wanting to have the conversation, It's Mm -hmm. not because they're flying by the seat of their pants. It's because they've finally decided that there's someone they can trust and talk to about it. And I think that's the the key part is they're not going to talk about it unless they're ready to. And so now Mm -hmm. that they are ready, you need to be ready to listen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree. You know, I, I always say everyone's mental health journey is their own. Right. And so we we can't really sit here and and make excuses for other people to discount them from potentially getting help that they really really need right so we can't say oh well you know something i run into in my work is is people will say like oh well no so and so like they could never be suicidal that's just not them unfortunately we don't get to decide that You know, I think we want those types of things to be true that no, they wouldn't. That's not like them. They're okay. But yeah, recognizing that that happens for anyone, including young people. Yes, being an adult is hard. Taxes and and mortgages and all that, very stressful. But being a kid is hard too. It's stressful in its own way. And I think, you know, from when we were kids to now, God, I sound like I'm such an old person, but um. I'm 32, by the way, just just for people who are curious. But, you know, when we were kids, it was just, it was different, right? There, there wasn't all this social media pressure and there wasn't, you know, all these other things happening in the world that we have all this access to and 
And yeah, so so I think you make a great point, Allie. And if our kids seem to be wanting to say something, we, we need to be ready and willing to listen. And another thing that you just brought up is um, things have changed in the last 20 years. Um, youth, I, you know, I think about my middle school experience and I am 30, so it wasn't that long ago. But for my middle school experience, there was really tough days with really mean people, but I left it. You were able to go home to your safe spot mm-hmm. with your parents or whoever, you know, whoever was in your corner. And for those next 12 hours that you were at home, you didn't have to face that. And now with social media, with how connected our society is as a whole, these kids can't just leave it at the door at school. Um, they can't leave it at the door at a program because it's following them. They're receiving messages. They're, um, you know, it's it's coming to them from all angles and not just when that person's physically in front of them anymore. And so that's a really important distinction to make when you're thinking about why this seems to be impacting kids more. Yes, there's always been bullies. Yes, there's always been situations, but kids have always been able to remove themselves from the situations and now they can't as easily. There's a lot to process with that, but Joe has been taking a lot of notes and and so I'm curious what, what Joe has to say here and if he has a question. Well, I've got I've got plenty of opinions on social media and how I feel about it and what I, I mean, I've personally chosen to disengage myself as much as possible. Uh, and that's my answer to it. I guess the first question is when we're talking about this age of how connected we are, how much connection we have, where does social media fit in this? Is there a healthy way to be on social media anymore, in your opinion, for youth? Or is it not possible to be on it and have it be healthy? I think it truly depends on the youth. We see kids in our rural communities who maybe don't fit the mold. Maybe they're struggling with their own identity. They they don't feel like they want to live in you know the town of 300 people anymore. Uh, they don't really seem to have any friends. And I've seen social media in that way be a lifeline. They're able to engage with people who are similar to them. They are able to engage with people who have a, a broader worldview and, and it helps them. It helps them to build their own community. So I've seen it be a lifeline in that way. I've also seen it go the other way where they're the recipient of, of nasty messages. And, and, and yes, the parents then need to step in and say, this is not okay. And we're going to put some limits on this. It, I, I don't think that there's one answer to that question. I think it depends on the on the youth and the situation and 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 their family structure. I definitely agree with you on that, Allie, that it, you know, depends on all of those things. Um, and yeah, especially that, you know, that family piece or whoever that adult or guardian may be, you know, are they aware of what's going on? You know, I have a niece who's 15 now and, you know, she has a smartphone. She has Snapchat and TikTok. But but my sister monitors it. You know, there are rules. And also my niece, unlike me, she would never break a rule. So it's pretty easy for her. But I think the biggest thing there is there's a lot of communication. And I know that a few times, you know, my niece has seen things that 
she wasn't sure about or made her uncomfortable. And and because my sister has been so open with her, she she would go to her and say, hey, mom, this is going on. Like, what do you think? You know, so I think that that parent communication piece is so important. You know, I I don't think it's a matter of, you know, spying on your kids, but it's really a matter of, you know, letting them know they have boundaries, but also being there, like Ali said, to be that safe person for them. So that if something does make them uncomfortable, they don't think I can't tell mom or dad because I'll be in trouble. They'll think I need to tell mom or dad because they'll know what to do. You know, and so that's uh, a really important piece in in all of this, I think, too. So something you said earlier, Allie, about when someone or especially youth decides to open up, it's completely intentional and not spontaneous and that you have to be ready for that conversation. A couple questions about that. If I'm not ready and I screw it up, did I blow my one chance at having this youth trust me and if I do that, what do I do? Let's start there and then I'll, I'll expand on that. I think it's hard to screw it up to the point where that kid's never going to come back to you. I think if you show some genuine compassion and concern for the situation or even say, hey, this isn't the time or place, but can we talk later? I think that's important, too, is recognizing that they might be ready to have the conversation. But, you know, doing it at dinner at grandma's might not be the right idea. Or, you know, having the conversation in the parking lot after t-ball practice, probably also not the great, a great place to, to, to be having the conversation. So I think as soon as, as long as you're responding with some compassion, then you're not going to screw it up. They're going to see that, that it's okay to talk to you yet. And, and, and then you can kind of give yourself, you know, it gives you time to, to get ready to have that conversation as well. One thing that we did find when we were working with our volunteers is that they they didn't know how to have the conversations. And so um, as part of the grant project, we did end up building out what we called a crisis response guide for volunteers. You know, a youth comes to you in crisis. Here are some steps that you can follow. Um, is it a critical point that you need the hotline numbers or your local hospital? Here they are. You know, are, are, are you ready to progress through making a referral? Do you need to, you know, your key points to, to keep in mind during the conversation? And so we built that out and, and, and gave it to all of our volunteers as a resource so that if they find themselves in a situation, they can just grab it and go or find it and go. And, and that has seen some, some good reviews that, that that was a piece that was missing when trying to prepare adults to work with kids. You know, Allie, we see that everywhere with with people working with any age of, of people, right? I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. I don't want to upset them more. And and to Joe's point in his question too, you know, I don't I don't want to break that trust with them. And, you know, that's a lot of pressure and and I will be the first to admit, in some conversations with people who are really struggling, I've definitely said the wrong thing before. And yeah, that that might start to fracture some, some trust. And the biggest thing you can do is just apologize and say you were wrong. And and Allie, you and I have had this conversation that is so important with youth. Some adults may have an attitude that like they shouldn't admit that they're wrong to kids, you know, because they need to be the adults. They always need to be right. Tell, you know, tell kids when you're wrong. 
you know, maybe you reacted badly to a situation or said you didn't have time. And then later on, you know, just say, you know what? I'm really sorry. I was wrong. I, I dismissed what you were saying before and I shouldn't have done that. And I want you to know that I do really care about you and I want to listen. I messed it up and I'm sorry, but I want to know about this. I care about you. I'm ready to listen. You know, that's that's a big part of it too is, is you know, don't focus on I have to be perfect and not mess it up. And if I'm going to mess it up, I'm not even going to try to, you know, if I mess up, just admit that right? That's, that's going to put people at ease always, right? When, when you just say, you know what? I messed up. I, I wasn't giving you enough attention and I, I didn't take it seriously and I should have because this is serious. So another thing to, to think about with that, you know, talking to youth peace is that sometimes you will mess it up and that's okay. The best way to move forward and, and to mend any, any trust issues from that is to just say you were wrong and apologize for it. So one of the other things you had talked about was, especially when we're talking about economics being an issue and that being a problem, the environment and the situation that that youth is in is creating stress and potentially affecting mental health. But that usually means that the adult and that is also in similar circumstances or in a similar environment. So they are also stressed or potentially have poor mental health. What does that adult do in that situation? You know, that the temptation is to hide it, right? Hide it from your kid and, and hide your stress and your mental health from your kid. But at least from what I've learned from Emily, that might not be the right choice. Like, should I be sharing that stress and, and talking about it, my own stress with my kid? How, how do you interact that way? I think that heavily depends on the age of the child. But if your if your child has has indicated in some way that they they know more than what maybe you're trying to let on to them, I always think it's the appropriate thing to sit down and say, "Listen, this is where we're at. You know, I I think that you are hearing things and I want to know. I want you to know that this is exactly what's going on." Because if they are old enough to perceive that from maybe the local coffee shop, gossip wheel, they're going to be able to have at least a cursory understanding of the conversation when they have it with you. And it, that also is is that trust building. It's important to build that trust within the family unit so that people can feel comfortable bringing their issues to light or, or their concerns to everybody in the family unit. But it is hard when when the adult and the child is also like everyone's struggling. Everyone is under stress. And that's where I think it's it's truly about making sure the community is ready to wrap around that family unit to 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 provide supports outside of the family unit to youth, so that there are more than just one place for them to find safety in conversation. That's where it's so important to equip not just the teachers, not just the families, but to equip our youth our youth workers to equip. Even, you know, our, our banks, right? You think about everybody, you know, who, who is going out to those farms and seeing people in their home territory. Those people in those, in those professions also need to be prepared to have some of these conversations because they're also frontline and they're also supports to those families. One of the things I've noticed with my own kids, they're very young still, but you, you can say whatever you want. The toddler is going to repeat pretty much everything you say. It may or may not stick but he will 
copy anything you do and it sticks hard. Even in older kids, I imagine it's fairly similar, right? So if you handle your stress poorly and you act out and you do certain things, I would guess your kid's going to pick up on that. So how important is it that you model that behavior of how to deal with it? Oh, it's, that's the, that's the base of it. You know, if, if you are modeling good behavior, I mean, I think, I feel like this goes to just back to parenting one-on-one, like your kids will model the behavior that they are around. And so how are you surrounding them with the best behavior possible? Are you, you know, are, are you throwing things against the wall in the barn? They're also going to throw things against the wall in the barn. Are you going for a walk? then they're also going to go for a walk. So making sure that you're modeling healthy coping mechanisms with your stress is is going to be one of the most important things that you can do around your child of any age. Are you reading a book in the evening? They're going to read a book in the evening. They want to be like their parents. So really trying to model healthy coping mechanisms of, of any type is going to be important. Personally, I'm, I'm the go for a walk type. I got to walk it off. Had a bad day. It might be negative ten out. Guess who's wearing Carhartts and hiking up and down the driveway? That's that's my coping mechanism: is being outdoors and getting fresh air and clearing my head. And so, making sure that we're modeling those types of behaviors instead of, you know, I've got an uncle who likes to throw things. <laughs> yes. So <clears throat> I have another, you know, fancy nerdy mental health term I want to throw in here. You know, after our big, what was it, Joe? Oh, the adjusting mastery thing, you know, now I'm I'm giving more terms. So what you were getting at, Allie, yes, with like how we cope and, and reflecting that for young people to see. So that's part of, it goes down to, and, and you'll hear people say it, self-regulation. As we become adults and our brains are fully developed, we get better at regulating our own emotions, right? So we get better at being like, okay, I can feel myself getting angry, so I need to walk away before I start yelling. That's a personal story from my own life, right? Um, But we learn to do that, and that's called self-regulation. So with kids, they need to learn how to do that. And so for them, it starts with what we call co-regulation. So it's exactly what Allie was saying. You know, you need to regulate, you know, side by side with this child. And so if the child is really upset, you know, instead of getting upset yourself and exacerbating it, co-regulate with them. Say, okay, well, why don't you take a deep breath in through your nose and push it out through your mouth, you know, and and start to teach them those coping mechanisms like Allie was talking about and really doing it side by side with them. And so then as as they age... They learn to do it on their own, right? But but they need that co-regulation piece to start because otherwise, you know, they're, they're these big bursts, right? The highs are really high and the lows are really low when you're a kid. And then as you learn to self-regulate, then, you know, that starts to even out a little bit more. So that's a, a really important piece of it um, that Allie was saying. And I just thought I'd add some additional scientific jargon to it. I'm always good with a little bit of extra verbiage. (laughs) Always. Being a parent, one of the things that I think about a lot, kids go to daycare, kids go to school. It feels like there's a huge portion of the day I have zero control over. 
what does that come down to? How do I help in that situation where I know I, I can't be there to help them co-regulate? I can't help them in that way. I'm not physically there for a huge portion of the day. Where where do we go from there? That's a tough one. Just recently started sending my daughter to daycare. And, you know, you know, we're on week one. We're on week one of daycare. For the record, have not cried yet. I'm feeling really good about that. I am impressed. Bravo, Allie. Good for you. Right? Like, I'm just going to break that out. I have, we are almost done with week one and I have not cried. And, but there is, there's this, you, you feel like you almost have to have that trust that that institution or place where, wherever you've, you've decided to entrust your child's care, you have to have some trust that, that they're going to have similar philosophies, that they're also working with these kids on co-regulation. And, and if they're not, then I think it is your place as a parent to say, this isn't working and address it either with the administrator or, you know, who, whoever, whoever might be able to make that change because it's good for all kids to learn to co-regulate. It's good for all kids. It's good for society as a whole for these youth to be able to learn these coping mechanisms and, and apply them appropriately. And so I don't think there's a perfect answer to it because I also know that in some places there's very limited resources, but if it doesn't start with you, then who does, then, then who is going to have that conversation? I'm, I'm always a proponent of, of, of Emily knows this. I'm going to open my mouth. If Allie's got something to say, she'll say it. Don't worry. (laughs) It might not always come out nicely, but we'll get there. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that's good advice. I mean, it, it, it's too important not to say something. One of the things we've talked about on this show a lot, and Emily has helped Brad and I learn about, is building resilience and doing that. And we've talked about that really in the con- on the context of an adult. Like, how do how do we do that as an adult? Is there anything different when it comes to youth and building resilience, or is it similar? I would say that the largest difference between a youth and adult is that often a youth is not going to be able to to get um, a resource like talk therapy or medication without first going through a parent. And so that's going to be a really big piece when, when, you know, if a youth really does need those resources, but they haven't been able to get them because maybe the parent doesn't realize that they need the resources or there might be a financial barrier to it. That's something that's 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 the largest difference that I have found is kids saying, well, I would love to talk to somebody, but I can't, you know, and or 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 insurance doesn't cover it. Right. Um, Something that I think has really started to gain a little bit of steam, at least in our area, is there are our school districts are starting to have what's called school linked mental health resources. Um, And so there are therapists in the schools. And um, there still needs to be parental approval. They are still running things through insurance, but they're on site. They can see things. You know, if that kid needs to drop in and say, I need this resource, how can I get this resource? They're in the building. That's been helpful. But again, that's not going to be available in every community. It really depends on um, your population center. Uh, it depends on if they can find a provider to actually provide the service. There's a lot of provider deserts out there right now and, and communities really needing to talk about, well, how do we, how do we get a provider to come here? And we need one. 
but how do we get a provider to leave the immediate metro area? That's kind of another, you know, access barrier is is pretty big. Emily talks about getting back to the basics a lot when we talk about, okay, we're, we're experiencing stress, we're, we're going down this road towards burnout, whatever the topic might be. You know, we need to sleep. You got to eat. You should have a community around you that supports you. But especially when we talk about economics and things like that, there's a lot of barriers to some of those things. Uh, and especially for kids when we say, all right, yeah, I mean, they got to eat. But if the money's not there, the money's not there. So how do you how do you approach that topic when it comes to kids? I mean, when we can't even get to the basics, how do you even start with the rest of it? There are hungry kids literally everywhere. It's there people have blinders on. Like so people need to take their blinders off. People need to realize that hey, when we're providing a snack at our 4H meeting, it's not just a snack. Right? Like some of these kids, this might be what gets them through the night. When an after-school program is providing meals, why wouldn't we take, why wouldn't we continue that resource to kids of all people? When we're talking about free and reduced lunch, why would we take that away from kids? Because I can tell you that the people that are using it are not using it just because they want to. Like this, this, the basic need is is there and it's in every single community and we have the resources to fix it but people need to take their blinders off and as a youth worker like you can tell like right like i'm having a moment with this one yeah i was like girl get off your soapbox jesus <laughs> ali you know most most of our listeners of the moose rooms are more likely parents versus the youth themselves so you know what be one or two tips you would give the parents we have listening as far as ways to support their kids or things that they should watch for in their kids uh, that might prompt a conversation. What are kind of your one or two big pieces of advice for parents listening? Well, as far as, as, as just being aware and, and, and knowing when to have a conversation, I think it is really important to think about um, your youth's normal social structure and when they start to withdraw from it, or when you see a substantial shift in it, if they used to hang out with the same six kids and now you're not hearing any of those names anymore, it might be worth having a conversation about what may have happened there. Or, you know, if they're just, you know, naturally moving on to, you know, different interests, then that's fine. But if something happened, then you, you need to be cognizant of that, um, of, of your youth's social structure as, as much as your own. And the other thing that to, to reiterate, it's you don't have to be right all the time, making sure that that you're circling back to those conversations that you might have, you know, shoved your foot in your mouth and say like, hey, that was wrong. We need to do better. How can I do better? And if your kid's going to come back and say, I just really don't want to talk about it. Great. Don't push the issue for right now. But if they're ready to have a conversation then it's time to sit down at the dinner table or in the living room and have a conversation. Well, I think that's a, a great place to to wrap this episode. Um, you know, and, and I'll just add my one final thought, you know, whether you are a youth struggling with your mental health or an adult, just remember that you are not alone. There is help out there. You know, talk to somebody that you can trust, um, you know, and, and especially for, for our kids in our, in our lives and our communities, 
you know, being that adult that they can trust and go to is so, so important. But with that, Allie, thank you again so much for being on the Moose Room. I'm excited we finally got you on. Um, and, and thanks for helping us cover this really important topic. If you have any questions, comments, or skating rebuttals about today's episode, you can email those to themoosroom at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. You can find us on the web at extension.umn.edu, on Twitter at UMN Mooseroom and at UMN Farm Safety, and find Bradley on Instagram at UMNWCROC Dairy. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.